sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that, just like myself, looks like a normal and high-functioning guy. But he is not. He is the captain. I'm hanging on by a thread. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, I am so happy to present... Who'd like to hold my clipboard papaya by the absolute geniuses over at Hoof Hearted Brewing and where else? Of course, Big Great Ohio. Hoof Hearted? Hoof Hearted. Oh. Hoof Hearted. (laughs) Garage grade sound the trumpets. Five out of five bottle caps. This is absolutely my favorite beer right now. Our good buddy Paul turned me on to this one. This is a double frappe IPA with papaya puree, milk sugar, and Tahitian vanilla added. And it is so damn good. ABV, 9%. Mm. And this week, we sound the trumpets for our garage friends right here. (laughs) Cheers to Andrea and Little Rock, Arkansas. And a big shout out to Dusty in Fort Bragg, California. Next up, we have Patience in Elizabethtown, North Carolina. And a big we like your jib to Brian in Woodstock, Ontario. We also have Anne in Wareheim, Massachusetts, and Natalie in Crestwood, Kentucky. And before we wrap up, Captain, I would better said, I guess we would like to give a big shout out to the Tennessee State Troopers. We have some good friends on the force down there. Cheers, mates. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. We thank you and we salute you. For all the old episodes, check us out on the Stitcher app and check out our bonus show called Off the Record. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Ohio State Route 47 is a highway running from the Indiana border at Union City to the village of Waldo. It was State Route 68 until 1933, when U.S. Route 68 was commissioned. Since both roads run through a common county, Logan, in Ohio, and since there is a rule that there can be no Ohio State routes with the same number as U.S. highways within Ohio, the number was changed to 47. Logan County, Ohio. The county is 467 square miles, and as of the 2010 census, there was under 46,000 people living in Logan County. The county is beautiful. Points of interest include Mad River Mountain and Indian Lake. Most of the news, good and bad, coming out of this area is provided from papers housed in nearby or neighboring cities, most coming out of Dayton and Springfield, Ohio. On an even more local level, in the May 24th edition of the Bell Fountain Examiner, there was a picture of a young man. Above the picture, it says Riverside High School, and you see a picture of a smiling 18-year-old wearing a dark-colored t-shirt with just enough gel in his hair to not only hold the hair in place, but also maintaining that wet look he was going for. This was an advertisement congratulating the young man on his high school graduation. His grandparents, who placed the ad, included a simple and straightforward message to their grandson that read, Good luck in your future. Scott Moody. Love, Grandma, Grandpa Schaefer. Scott was lucky enough to have a second congratulatory ad placed for him, which again featured his high school senior photo. This ad was from his mother and sister and read, Good luck and have fun. Less than a week later, Grandma, Grandpa, Mother, Sister, and Scott Moody would once again make the paper, but this time it was not for celebration. No, this time the news was only bad. All bad. You could read the articles for the details, but the headlines were stunning and jaw-dropping. One read, No one knows what caused carnage. And in big, bold, black letters, on the front page of the Dayton Daily News, it read, Slayings Stun Logan County. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the story of the Moody Massacre. Scott Moody was born in Bell Fountain, Ohio. For those not familiar, Bell Fountain is a great community. The captain and I have been there on more than one occasion. Bell Fountain is about an hour's drive northwest of where we are in Columbus, Ohio. Located in Logan County, and just to give everyone an idea, the population back in 2011 was estimated at just between 13 and 14,000 residents. So this is a small community. Scott was born in the summer of 1986. He's the son of Steve Moody and Sherry K. Schaefer. Scott lived in Bell Fountain with his mother and sister, Stacy Moody. They attended the First United Methodist Church. 
Scott's father lived nearby in DeGraff, Ohio, with his other sons. This is Scott's half-brothers, Stephen, Christopher, and Adam. His family, at least on his mother's side, are all farmers, Scott included. His family own Shaker Farms. That's S-H-A-K-E-R Farms. Scott showed cattle in the Logan County and Ohio State Fairs, winning several trophies and awards. Scott was a member of both the Riverside FFA and the Liberty Livestock 4-H Club. For those wondering, the FFA stands for Future Farmers of America and is a large nationwide group that teaches leadership, personal growth, and career success through agricultural education. The 4-H program is similar to the FFA, but probably even larger, at least it seems to be more popular here in Ohio. The 4-H's stand for head, heart, hands, and health. I thought two of them stood for hoof-hearted. Because they were farmers and had plenty of land to work, Scott's grandparents, Gary and Cheryl Schaefer, who we referenced in the trailer, they lived just a quarter of a mile away. The two houses were surrounded by corn and soybean fields. They lived on Ohio Route 47, so both Scott's mother's house and his grandparents' home share a large property along Route 47. On Sunday morning, May 29, 2005, at 10.35 a.m., an emergency services call came in from an obviously panicked woman identifying herself as Nicole. According to the Dayton Daily News, her voice trembled as she scrambled to explain to the lifeline Mm -hmm. why she was calling and what she was seeing during the placement of this call. Right, because it's not a normal 911 call. It's not, we have an emergency happening right now. It is, we have wreckage, and and this is the aftermath of the crime. Yeah, that's right. Nicole tells emergency services the following. My sister just called me and said her mom and her had been beaten up and her mom isn't waking up. Nicole goes on to say, I can't wake her mom up. I can't feel a pulse. And then she cried out, oh my God, Scott, the son and girlfriend are beat up too. This is all from the Dayton Daily News. Now, a sheriff's deputy arrived a short time later after the call, two times are reported for his arrival, one at 1045 and one at 1046. This is Deputy Wyrick. Keep in mind the Sheriff's Department is nearby, so Wyrick, the first responding officer, was at the scene within seconds of the end of this emergency call. So first, he finds Nicole and her boyfriend, Jeff, the two that had went out to the house and placed the emergency call. Then the deputy finds Stacy Moody, who is covered in blood. She's sitting in a recliner in the living room. She had moved around the house quite a bit before the sheriff had arrived. And we'll get into that in a bit. She had been shot twice in the neck. 19-year-old Megan Karras was found nearby, lying on a love seat, shot in the upper neck. Found in an upstairs bedroom was Sherry Schaefer. She's the mother, found in her bed, lying on her back. In another bedroom, there were two bodies. One was 14-year-old Paige Harshberger, shot in the left temple, and then she's lying on her right side facing the wall. Now, next to her in the same bed 
shirtless, wearing jeans covered in blood, legs dangling off the edge of the bed. And according to Sheriff Henry's full investigative report carried by the Associated Press, clutching a 22 rifle, thumb on the trigger, shot twice, was Scott Moody. The first shot going through his neck and into his sinus cavity. Investigators believe that he then switched hands, repositioned himself, and put the barrel in his mouth and again pulled the trigger. Stacy was the only one alive. Four people were dead. So let's go through this real quick here, Captain, before we move on, because mm-hmm. all of this stuff is going to be very important as we go through this, that we have a complete understanding of what the first responding officer is seeing. Again, this is Deputy Wyrick. He's responding to the scene where he meets Nicole and her boyfriend, Jeff. Inside the Moody home, we find Stacy, which she is the daughter that lives there. Okay. She's 15 years old. Right. She's in very bad shape, clinging to life. She's the one that called Nicole saying, hey, I'm beat up and my mom's beat up too and I can't wake her up. Right. Let's keep in mind, she's saying beat up because she's been shot twice. The trauma, she probably doesn't fully understand what's going on at this point. She might have been shot and then actually blacked out, so she might not even realize that she's been shot. Yeah. On the ground level, they find uh, Megan Karras. She's 19 years old. Okay. Then upstairs, we find three bodies. We find the mother. We find the mother, Sherry K. Schaefer, who's 37. She is Scott and Stacy's mother. We also find in his bedroom, Scott Moody, who's 18 years old, and his girlfriend, Paige Harshberger, who's 14 years old. We're being told that we find Scott with two gunshot wounds, and he's holding a rifle. He's got his thumb on the trigger. Yeah, they believe these to be self-inflicted, so you can kind of deduce that we have a family that has been murdered, and then the person that murdered them, Scott, took his own life mm-hmm. but it becomes strange because there's two gunshot wounds that scott quote-unquote inflicted into himself mm-hmm. yeah and so deputy wyrick first on the scene he describes several of the bodies he found as either blue or gray in color mm. other than the blood stains for the most part they look like they were just sleeping that these people were just sleeping but they were blue or gray and cold. Yeah, family members dead in their sleep. It kind of reminds you of the DeFeos, the Amityville horror. Mm-hmm. Wyrick asks Stacy several questions, but she, again, is barely hanging on. She has been shot twice and had lost a lot of blood by this point. She was going in and out and only answered three questions. This is as other deputies were arriving on the scene. Yeah. Do we know what those three questions were? Yeah. The three questions she was able to answer. Now, I want you to keep in mind, she was asked more than just three questions. Right. She's only able to provide answers to three because, again, she's going in and out at this point. The questions she answered were, what is your name? To which she says, Stacy Moody. How old are you? She says, 15. Do you know who did this? She says, no. Just before being placed in the back of an ambulance, she was asked again by a different officer, do you know who did this? And she says no. Now, thankfully, Stacy is still alive at this time. However, law enforcement has, they're not able to gain any insight into what she may have witnessed, saw or heard or what have you. 
they were pushing her for these answers, especially because she was in such bad shape. She is near death. You know, they, if she, if she passes away shortly after this, we need to get some information from her before, because that was a reality here. Mm -hmm. So they rushed her out of the scene. Uh, she would be placed into a helicopter and they're going to have a life flight. They're going to have to life flight this poor Stacy to Ohio State University Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. So it was Stacy who called Nicole to come to the house because she and her mother had been, quote, beaten up. And we already said that Stacy was going in and out of consciousness. And this was immediately as she woke up. You know, she's blacking out, moving around, blacking out. And the reason for this, we've been beaten up, I've been beaten up, my mother's been beaten up. That description, I think, comes from a couple of things. One, she wakes up in obvious pain, horrific pain, and does not fully know why. But two, her mother, who she would have seen lying face up in her bed, she appeared to have what what would look like two black eyes. Mm -hmm. But this was only really due to the fact that she had been she had been shot in the head. She had not been beaten up. In fact, later the Logan County Sheriff's office would say that they saw no signs of a struggle at all. And there were no defensive wounds on any of the victims. Well, and she was found in her bed too. So we could assume that she was possibly asleep. Mm -hmm. So deputies say it was then that they went to investigate the neighboring farmhouse there. They had to, kick in the door they found two bodies on the kitchen floor this is 67 year old gary schaefer and 66 year old cheryl sue schaefer they were in the process of cooking breakfast uh they found the sheriff found two glasses of orange juice on the table and eggs were out ready to be cooked Mm -hmm. both had been shot in the upper neck we will know from eyewitnesses and from just the general timeline that whatever went down that killed all six of these people and left Stacy clinging to life, it went down between 6 a.m. and when the emergency call was placed at 10.35 in the morning, this all on May 29th. Uh-huh. So we know that it was after 6 a.m. or have reason to believe that it was after 6 a.m. because there were other people that stayed at the Moody house the night before. So we had three individuals. This is uh, Brett Davidson. He was somebody who, um, he was another high school student. We have Jason Southerly. This, I believe, is Sherry K. Schaefer's boyfriend, the mother's boyfriend. He left sometime that morning, and I'm a little confused on exactly what time he left. But we also have Andrew Denny, who left. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Stacy's friend. We know that he was there. He said that he watched a movie, played some pool, and left sometime early in the morning, but does not provide a time. The reason why we believe that all of this stuff went down after 6 a.m. is because the first person I mentioned, Brett Davidson, he says that he left the Moody's at 6 a.m. and everything was fine at that point. All right. So we have three individuals that were there the day of this massacre. They claim that there was no problems, no Correct. trouble when they left. Correct. Everything would have been fine at that point. And we can 
look, if we believe their statements, I think it would have been obvious if any of this had gone down beforehand. Obviously, you would have somebody would have heard gunshots. But not only that, well, one maybe of the, maybe not though. I mean, we we don't know how large this property is. I mean, it is a farm, right? But these individuals were inside the Moody home, so we're not talking about a great amount of distance right, that's between if, them. Right, and but that's them. if we believe them, right? Correct. But then you also have the fact that that we have Megan Carus. Her her body was found on the ground level, so right. Somebody may have had to walk past her body to go out the door, but I guess we also have the deputy saying other than the blood stains, it almost appeared that these people were just asleep. Yeah. See, I also wonder due to the color of the bodies, how long they were, were there. And it seems to me like if you're getting a call at 10 and this happens between seven and 10, a small three hour window is that enough time for these bodies to turn this purplish gray color that the, officers were saying that they were uh also makes me wonder if and i would assume they did this but uh did they test for any ballistics on these individuals to see if they fired a gun that day well no pun intended you're jumping the gun a bit but Mm. what i do like and i have to agree with you 100 percent here captain you're saying right from jump street you got some questions. There's some questions here. Mm-hmm. So I should point out that this May 29th, 2005, this was also the day of the local high school graduation ceremony. Both Scott Moody and Megan Carris, 18 and 19 respectively, were a part of that graduating class. Right. So they would have been walking across the stage that night. That day. And and right. obviously they're not going to be attending the ceremony. In fact, the school was actually notified of their deaths just a couple of minutes. I mean, l- literally a couple of minutes before the ceremony was to begin. Mm-hmm. Their chairs remained empty for the entirety of the graduation. And as soon as the ceremony ended, immediately after you know the caps were tossed in the air and the cheering was over. The tassel moved from one side of the hat to the other side. Students, parents, teachers, and everyone present was told two of their own were killed that morning. Wow. Now, the sheriff's department tried to keep the announcement of the deaths low-key so that the other local kids could enjoy their achievement. They didn't make this statement during the commencement speech. Right. It, but it sounds like some of the kids kind of knew something was going on. Very uh, small town. so Small you, town. Yeah. And people were saying that as the ceremony was proceeding and as it drug on that they were, you could tell by the faces that, you know, yeah. these, somebody knew something and was probably whispering it to somebody else and it was making its way around to, to everyone. So the sheriff's department, they announced to news and media outlets that they would hold a press conference later that same day at the sheriff's office. Now, I want to point out something that I find to be incredibly strange here, Captain. Mm -hmm. Later on, a local reverend, this is Reverend Jones, would tell people that he heard on his police scanner, you know, he's, he's listening in at home. He says he heard on the scanner at noon that day, the day of the shooting, that the sheriff had closed the investigation. 
He says it was, quote, declared closed. Mind you, this is at noon, and we already reported that the first deputy arrived at the scene, according to the reports, at either 1045 or 1046 a.m. So So an hour and 15 minutes, and you're able to close a case. It's solved, baby. Wow. Sherlock dickweed. We figured it out. So clearly, you're as surprised as I was by that statement. That's ridiculous. Now, now, we don't know if (laughs) that's true, though. Correct. This is this is what one man says. Mm-hmm. He's a reverend, so I'm giving him a little little credit here. I'd like to know what he looks like. Well, we're going to get a general rundown of what happened, who is responsible and why, right? Because remember what the sheriff said that morning, we will have a press conference coming up scheduled by the sheriff all set for 7 p.m. And Captain, I wanted to read this directly from a book called Saving Stacy by rob st Clair, uh that covers this case the moody massacre so this is from pages 36 and 37 at 7 p.m sunday evening logan county sheriff michael henry straightened his wrinkled t-shirt adjusted his dale earnhardt jr ball cap and stepped before a crowded group of reporters representing local state and national media outlets he says quote it's tough on us we knew these people We're familiar with these kids. I feel so badly for these families, this community. You can't imagine what it's like to deal with this. When you have six victims, it's very horrendous. It was a rampage. These are the most tragic shootings I've seen in this county in my 31 years here because of the sheer number of all of the young victims. Sheriff Henry waited a moment before he explained the details. He estimated that between 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. Sunday morning, 18-year-old Scott Moody got out of his bed, loaded a 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle, walked a quarter mile to his grandparents' home, and shot them as they made breakfast. Investigators had found Gary Schaefer, age 67, and his wife Cheryl Schaefer, age 66, dead on their kitchen floor. The sheriff went on to say that Scott most probably crossed back over crop fields to his adjacent house, reloaded the rifle, and went from bedroom to bedroom, shooting people as they slept. The sheriff commented that he believed the sequence was that Scott first shot Riverside High School student Megan Karras, age 19, then his mother, Sherry K. Schaefer, age 37, then his girlfriend, Riverside High School student Paige Harshberger, age 14, then his sister, Stacy Moody, age 15, and finally, himself. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. 
Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Cap. And I will toss up the image of Saving Stacy by Rob St. Clair on our Instagram page as well. It's a fantastic book, and obviously it will be this week's recommended reading. I do want to get into some, let's say, nitpicking here before we get too far along in the story here, Cap. Or Nick. Picking. <laughs> well, this is, I'm probably going to get some criticism for saying this, but I can't help myself. We here. can only hope. Yes. Let the hate mail roll. Mm-hmm. Um, d- at the start of Rob Sinclair's uh, description of this sheriff's press conference, he describes the sheriff, Sheriff Henry, what he's wearing. He's wearing a wrinkled t-shirt and a Dale Earnhardt Jr baseball cap right look i don't want to be too critical but we we i want to commend first the sheriff for his words okay they were powerful words and they were emotional it was an emotional statement and i also get that it was a holiday weekend the sheriff probably was off for the weekend and did not intend on working that day was was called in because of this horrible massacre that took place however this is a press conference in front of local state and even national media outlets you are an elected official mm-hmm. if there ever was a time that that community in his words he says that the community he feels bad for this community if there ever was a time that the community needed to see the uniform it was that day yeah it was at that press conference you had the chance to be the knight in shining armor and 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 be the one that stood up there. You you are supposed to be the face of protect and serve, and this co- community is hurting at this time, and you're well, wearing probably, a NASCAR hat. And they don't have all the answers, so <clears throat> they're probably also scared and nervous. Correct, correct. And he, look, if if it was just like a if it just happened. That press conference just naturally, organically happened right at the scene of the crime or whatever, and he was forced to answer some questions. I get it that you're not in uniform. He probably rushed to the scene, but he scheduled. He's the one that scheduled the press conference at his office for 7 p.m., so there was time to look the part, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if the sheriff and his men are correct, if they are right, well, then this is a closed case, but we have as we said, questions, but we also have a major issue that is going to take place. Stacy, the sole survivor, she says, she would later say, mind you, she's in very bad shape. Right. She would later say that she saw the shooter and it was not her brother, Scott Moody. 
So here's what Stacy had to say. Let's keep in mind, again, her fragile state. They had to life flight her to the best hospital in the area to save her life. Right. She was supposed to die. Later, she would say that the medical professionals that saved her life and tended to her, they didn't even fully understand how or why she survived, but she did. So when she was being asked, questioned by, uh, as she lay in the hospital bed, I don't think we should assume that she knew what fully happened, meaning she may not know that most of her family was killed at that point when she's answering these questions. She may not know that the Logan County Sheriff's Office had closed the case and announced to the public that her brother was the shooter. So let's go back and using Stacy's words, walk through what she says that she witnessed that Sunday morning. She says she woke up, but nothing in particular woke her up. But when she wakes up, she sees a man standing over her bed and holding a gun. She would go on to say that she did not know the man, but he was older with gray hair and wearing a blue shirt. So I read two versions of this statement here, and I'm, I'm unable to discern which is in fact correct you know, which is the truth. Uh, I guess really though, the truth is captain, we, we may not know. And Stacy just might not know for sure herself, mm-hmm. but she said that the man that she described as either a medium build or a larger build, we'll come back to this description in a minute. Now describing the gun, she said it had a huge barrel. As soon as she sees the gun, Mind you, she is just eyes open, still lying down. She's not up. She's not standing. The man shoots her in the neck. She said he then walks out of the room and she hears two gunshots. Then the man returned to the room and again over top of Stacy shoots her a second time. Then again, he leaves the room. And Stacy says she then heard two more gunshots. Now back to the description. Stacy says she does not know the man, so obviously it's not Scott. And Scott's description, well, my description of Scott anyway, he's 18 years old, a bit of a baby face, five foot eight, right. 135 pounds, so a smaller frame, a smaller build. Yeah. He's got short brown hair. And deputies say that Scott was not wearing a shirt when they found his body in his room. Right. Stacy says the man that she saw that shot her was wearing a blue shirt. Right. doesn't mean that he couldn't have taken off the shirt though. Correct. Now on July 20th, 2005, Stacy, she spent 12 days at OSU, many of them in the ICU. She is quoted in the Dayton Daily News as saying, I didn't realize what happened. I had no clue. I don't remember hardly anything. I remember the last four days in the hospital, but other than that, it's just bits and pieces. The gunshots shattered two of her vertebrae, severed an artery leading to her brain, and damaged her vocal cords. Another very sad part of this story, because Stacy was hospitalized, fighting for her life, she was actually unable to attend the services for her friends, her brother, her grandparents, and her mother. Right. 
It's also tough, though, here, too, because we know that she has a lot of trauma. And it kind of reminds you of, like, the Central Park 5 case where the victim doesn't have much of a memory about the case. Now, her memory in that case, in the Central Park 5 case, never really comes back. So there is no details at all. But you just also wonder with these accounts of uh, a larger, older man that she didn't know, is this something that she, um, in her state, dreamt up or misremembered or or what? Yeah, so if anybody's having a hard time figuring it out, we're pointing out that there, there are some questions about this case. We have the sheriff's department saying, Scott Moody, 18 years old, who was scheduled to graduate that day, killed basically, you know, most of his family. Right. It's only and, because and his father himself. lives. Yeah. And kills himself. And then we have Stacy saying, my brother was not the shooter. And I wanted to point out a couple, couple of things here. And that was kind of a long way for me to, to, to go on about it. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to point out two, two things. One, when she's being asked that stuff in the hospital, she, Again, she may not know at that time that the sheriff's office announced that her brother was the shooter. Right. I think that's important to keep that in our minds when we're trying to figure out, is Stacy's story correct? Because if she's telling the truth, and if she is spot on, if she's remembering everything correctly, right. then we we have a missing shooter here somewhere. And somebody made it look like Scott Moody killed all these people. Well, and also we have two shots to a to a guy committing suicide, which is rare in itself. Yeah, very it does rare. happen. It mm-hmm. does. Ha- you know, some people immediately see that and go, "Oh my God!" Well, he couldn't have killed himself. He shot himself twice. Right, but you also have a whole community that is saying this is not. <laughs> yes, not in the realm of possibilities that this kid is capable of doing something like this. Th- thank you for saying that, and. And I think part of the thing, too, is not only do we have Stacy saying that my brother wasn't the shooter, we have the community. A lot of people in the community are saying he probably we don't believe he was the shooter. And they, they call that into question and call that it into major doubt because I think the sheriff's office was so quick to announce that Scott was the shooter. Yeah. Again, that's just it feels like we don't have a thorough investigation here. I yeah, get that you found a gun in somebody's hands. Yes. But then then here's the argument, too. And I think we should spend some of this time going through some of these things as to call into question if Scott was the shooter or if he was not. What points to him being the shooter? What points to him not being the shooter? So right from the get here, we have a problem because we have the deputy who says, I found Scott Moody, his his legs are hanging off of the edge of the bed. You can find pictures of this on the internet mm. and you can see his legs off of the bed at the, at the bottom of the bed. Now he says that he found this rifle in Scott's, you know, he's clutching the rifle. He's got his thumb on the trigger. There was an EMT worker who said that no i saw the gun it was near scott but it would you know it was within arm's reach but he was not holding the gun when i saw him right again that's a simple test we can find out if scott shot a gun that day or not yes and could you find that anywhere 
Because nope. I could not. Nope. That was the first question I had. I'm like, if if there's a big question, if if Scott was a family annihilator and killed himself, or did somebody try to frame this poor 18-year-old kid, why don't we just test him for GSR and then announce it to the public? We we tested him for GSR. We did. We ran ballistics on all the bullets that we found, and they all came from this one gun that was in his possession. Now, I do want to point out something here yeah, real but quick. But there's an argument that it's not even in his possession. Right, right. Right. And I do want to. I do want to point out a couple of things here, though. It is possible that he did kill himself, and somehow the gun got worked from him. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like that happens. Yeah. Right. We one, we know we have Stacy moving around the house and it doesn't seem like she's quite clear on what she was doing. You know, she she was not shot where she was found once the first responders arrived. She was not found where she was shot when her sister Nicole arrived. We also have Nicole and Jeff who ran through the scene checking people as they call emergency services. And then of course we're going to have deputies and EMT who are moving things around at this crime scene as well. But you have this individual, Scott, 18 years old. What's his motive? I mean, we know that he's graduating from high school. This is a big step in a, a kid's life. Uh, probably the biggest step uh, to date. He's graduating high school. He's, he's gonna, becoming a man. And, and he wants to be a farmer. So that's already the family's business. So he's going to go straight from graduating to working the job that he wants to work. And there's a lot of people in this country that don't get to wake up every day and do what they love to do. That's what he was set up to do. So what's the motive? Well, this case, in a way, not only does it remind me of Amityville Horror, but it, it also reminds me in a way of John Benet Ramsey. What did we find when we took a deep dive into the Ramsey case? We found that every bit of information out there was like a coin. It had two sides to it. Mm -hmm. One where everybody suggests, hey, this item points towards the parents having killed this little girl. The other side of the coin saying this proves that they're innocent. With with Scott Moody, what I found throughout this was every statement is contradicted by a complete opposite statement. So we have, and it's not just Stacy Moody that says this. There's a um there's a documentary. It's short. It's good. It's on YouTube called Porcelain Dolls. It's Stacy's story. They interview Stacy for this documentary. It's about 20, maybe 30 minutes long. Right. I recommend that you watch that as well. But she says in this documentary, and she said it other times as well, everyone in the community, the entire community said that Scott would never do this. And I saw that in the newspapers as well. I even saw his former stepfather who lived with him for many years. I believe they divorced three years before the shooting. He says Scott would have never done this. But we have some other things that say maybe he might have done this. Okay. And those are what? So let's go through this. What we know about Scott Moody. One, we know that he was or is reported to have been close with his mom, but had not seen his father since he was 16 years old. And this is by Scott's own choosing. He decided he didn't like his father. His father lived a short drive away 
from where Scott lived. Right. He chose not to see him. Now, Stacy, when she survives this tragedy, she would go to live with her biological father afterwards. He had a weird girlfriend situation. Okay. Some people point out uh, his girlfriend's 14. Some people get angry about that. I get it. 18, 14 seems a little weird to me, but I remember when I was in high school, there was a lot of high school seniors that had freshman girlfriends. Yeah, so when you were a senior, you only dated 14-year-olds is what you're saying? No, not me. I'm, I, <laughs> the reason why I remember it was because when I was a freshman, there was a couple of couple of girls that I liked, and I'm like, oh, I don't, one, I probably didn't have a shot anyway, but they were dating seniors. I mean. I knew you in high school. You definitely didn't have a shot. <laughs> so the girlfriend situation is a little weird. His girlfriend, the current girlfriend that was killed that day, that was found next to him. Right. She's 14. He knows her because she is was and probably was at the at the time still a very close friend with his little sister Stacy. Right. So that that's makes how it he, le- less awkward though. Yeah, they had only been dating for I believe 2 or 3 weeks at that time though. Right. I think what I find strange about the relationship 1814 is that it seems like it was okay that she was staying the night that night is what I'm guessing at. A little strange. But I guess if you're her parents and you don't know that he's dating her, then you just think she's staying with Stacy. Right. Anyway, let's move past that. What I bring that all up because he had a long-term girlfriend who split up with him within just a couple of months before this this shooting. Mm -hmm. So he's coming off of a long-term relationship where the girlfriend broke it off. And she says later, she says, I broke it off because of, because of his anger issues that he would, he would, you know, break into these anger fits out of nowhere. Okay. And so so that's evidence to point that it's possible. Yeah. And maybe this is just something that he he just never showed to people at school. It's that's a possibility because he wouldn't want to get in trouble. And so now you're at your house and you don't have a. A uh, male figure in your life that's a hierarchy in your house. Mm-hmm. The only hierarchy you have is your mother. and But that might not stop you from going into these tantrums. Right. So we have a, we have a community that says Scott would never do this, but we have three people who make statements that make it sound like he might do something like this. We already covered the girlfriend, right? right? These are all statements, three sources that say he was short-tempered, he was angry, and even abusive at times. There was the girlfriend, the former girlfriend, I'm sorry, a domestic violence counselor says that she was called by Scott's mom. This was, um, I think, three right. months, two or three months before the shooting. His mother calls saying, I want help because I want to remove my abusive son from my home. Wow. That was her statement. Mm -hmm. Then we have, um, okay, so the former girlfriend, her name is Amanda Arthur. And she said that he scared her. um, And at one point, he even said to her that he wanted to kill them all, referring to members of his family. Yeah, or possibly the Metallica album. Right. He would he would blow up for no reason, as she said, but then there was other times that she would he would call her crying 
on the phone and she said it was like for no reason she couldn't figure out what was going on with him well this is possibly one of the reasons why he didn't want to have a relationship with his father maybe his father was trying to be the authority figure and he didn't want that and if you have these temper tantrums and it's not against your mother that maybe is afraid of you or physically doesn't think she can control you in any manner that maybe his father could and that's why he didn't want to be around his father so Stacy's father is the third source for statements saying that Scott was short-tempered, angry, and abusive. He says that when Stacy survived and went to come live with him, that during that time, she, Stacy, the survivor, tells him that in the months leading up to the shooting that Scott quit referring to his mother as mom or mother or mama, whatever he right, called right. her. He was calling her by her first name at that point. And that according to Stacy, again, this is from her father, said that Scott was to the point where he was hitting and cursing his mother. Yeah, and I, I tried that whole thing for a while where you call your parents by their first names. It lasted like two days, and, and they were extremely upset. Well, and then you have you have another thing too, right? A lot of people say, well... He was turning 18. He was graduating. He was going to become a full-time farmer. His family already has a farm. He was into farming. He wanted to be a farmer. You have another group of people that says the farm, the pressures of him becoming a farmer, maybe he didn't truly want to be a farmer. He was being forced into it by his family. Right. Again, it's the opposite side of the coin. Or or possibly your motive is you get rid of your family and now you get to take possession of the farm, but however went down, didn't go to plan. And then he decided to take his own life. That's really what the, the sheriff believes is that something happened and we, we don't know what, in fact, Sheriff Henry's statement was that we may never know, says Sheriff Michael Henry, maybe, you know, we may never know why is what he's saying. Maybe there were a number of issues, domestic pressures on the farm, unfulfilled dreams, a recent serious argument with his grandfather, Gary Schaefer. So the sheriff points this out because Do we have any evidence of an argument between him and his grandfather. We only have Sheriff Henry's statement. And, but what he believes is that once that first life was taken, Right. That was the only intention, but it set off all these other things that, that had to happen. Well, and see, that's what I'd really like to know is it, to me, it seems like whatever happened in the house that it wouldn't have started with the grandparents, but they would have some evidence of that. But again, we don't know what tests were ran and what weren't. And, And so that becomes very, you would think that if he's showing signs of abuse to his mother, you could see something going down of, hey, it's time to graduate, and he's going, I'm not going. And she goes, oh, yes, you are. And that is just enough to spark that, but then that carries over to his grandparents' house, and then he, he comes back and takes his own life. But but why would Stacy say that somebody else was the shooter? See, that's what we have. We even have Stacy's conflicting statements along the way. No, no, I agree, and I and I think that's, you know, again, the reason why this investigation needed 
certain tests done to prove certain things because I think in her trauma state that she is not, to me, a reliable witness. Not at all. And so it's like, again, now now you brought up a point which I think is good. Did she know what the claims were when she started making her eyewitness account? Because you could also argue, is there a possibility that she would want to defend him in any way? Right. That she doesn't want her brother to be known for this. Right. Because I mean, we just covered uh, the Grant. Amato. Yeah. Amato case where his brother was constantly defending him. You know, constantly defending him up into the point where his brother killed him. And that's why I think it was important to point out that she, when, when, we don't know for certain when given that statement, when she's telling somebody the shooter did was not my brother, that's not her exact words. She's just describing the man that she says she saw with the gun. I think it's important to point out that she may not have known that the sheriff had already announced that her brother was the killer. So if she doesn't know that, then she's not defending him per se. You see what I mean? You know, I, I agree. But now, like we've we've stated multiple times, Within the last hour, this is very similar to the Amityville horror case, which started with the DeFeo, DeFeo, yeah, mm-hmm. DeFeo murders. Now, in that case, the brother, which is in jail for the murders of his whole family, has made statements all along that it wasn't just him. That his sister. That his sister was involved. So, so we have to then, as investigators, look at this of, again... I don't want to believe anything that she's saying because of the trauma state. I don't think, I don't think she's well, hold on for a second, because I think again, what tests were done? Do we, did we have any tests done to see if she fired any shots that day? Because let's say there was something going on in the family that we do not know about. And we have a tempered brother. Do we have a tempered sister? Do we have this family tree seems a little confusing to me. Whose brothers and whose half brothers and and is there's obviously multiple guys, older gentlemen that were at the house. What's going on with their family life? What's going on in their mother's life? Is she simply stating, well, I think it was an older gentleman to throw off the idea that this would be a situation where it would be two siblings involved in the murder of their, their friends and family. I'm just saying that you have to, I think as an investigator, at least put that on the table. Yeah. The other three guys that were present, two of them were high school students and one is reported to be Sherry K Schaefer's boyfriend, the mother. Right. Um, and again, that's those are simple tests that you need to run because. Well, they may have been run. It's it's just it's disappointing just re- that yes, it, right. when you have a community that's calling into question your findings, why haven't you made those announcements? Well, and, you can't find his Dell Earnhardt Jr. hat. Well, the, the the problem here is we have a sheriff's office who clearly closed the case very quickly, too quickly, one hundred percent too quickly. Right. Their statements are that this was also investigated by the prosecutor's office and uh, BCI, um, Ohio BCI. Right. 
uh, Bureau of Criminal Investigation. So they may, uh, if BCI is there on the scene, I'm sure that they ran those tests. Right. It's just disappointing to find out that that we can't we can't come to the conclusion that they got it right because they're not they're not presenting us with the evidence of such. And there's enough of a question to do so. And maybe people were out there going, you know what? They don't have to do that. This is not a trial. I get that. But when, when the community is confused and not convinced that you got it right, give us a little something to go on now. Well, not to throw the sister on the bus like I did, but if her statement is correct and it was an older gentleman with a heavier build, then it wasn't her brother. And then we have somebody that is capable of murdering a whole family in two locations walking around willy-nilly yeah well and the thing is people will call this into question too because look the sheriff's office didn't do a thorough in my mind they didn't do a thorough investigation what we have here though is we have a dr failer he's the coroner you know, he has to investigate anything where there's a there's a violent death, be it a homicide or a suicide or both. And, you know, maybe if they're right, in this case, both. Right. He was met with a basically with a roadblock from the sheriff's department when he calls up and he's trying to get his questions answered. They don't want to give him any information. They're mad at him because he was the one that went to OSU and got the statement from Stacy. The sheriff's department, the Logan County Sheriff's Department, yeah. didn't even bother to go to OSU and talk to the sole survivor to get a statement from from her. Yeah, and then it goes back to our age-old question that we've asked a million times about these investigators. Stupid or lazy? Because hmm. it seems like we got a bunch of lazy investigators on this case. So one thing that I think was pretty thorough as i mean as much of a roadblock as he was met with this dr failer um he did go as far to show stacy a picture of a gray-haired emt member who was working on stacy at the scene right so he he took it a step further and said well maybe this is the person she's remembering right and that doesn't seem according to stacy that's not who she said that she saw that day yeah, and again, I I think Stacy's opinion matters quite a bit, and now I know she was saying that her brother was uh, abusive towards their mother, but it seems as if... Uh, you can be abusive and not kill a whole family. Well, it almost seems that what she's stating by by her eyewitness account is, okay, I saw this other other individual, but I also think... My brother wasn't capable of this. And look, everybody has grown up in a family where there's some troubled times for some troubled people, where maybe the relationship between the older sibling isn't going as well. Um, and they have some temper issues for a small period of time. But that doesn't always equal a murderer. Right or even a criminal and it doesn't even seem like this kid had much of a past other than his mother calling. Yeah. You want to talk about behavioral issues. If he had them, um, that as you point out, that's the only thing that we have going back six years for his school record. He had one disciplinary action against him and that was for being tardy. 
right. in the span of six years. We don't see any fighting, any shouting or yelling at anybody, you know, nothing that would go along with some of the behaviors that, that we believe might have been going on according to what Stacy's father says and what this uh, domestic violence counselor right, states. But again, we have multiple statements by the family. The crimes were committed against the family. So maybe it's, again, a situational thing where at school he was fine, but for some reason the dynamics of the household weren't healthy and, and that caused him to... Um, not be able to control his temper and to be a jack wagon and, and be abusive towards his mother. One thing that I find interesting too is the very same agency that we are criticizing for their lack of an investigation or, or lack of a thorough investigation. They're also the other suspect in this case. There are people out there that believe that either the sheriff's office covered this up or looked the other way or maybe even was somehow involved in this shooting. Why is that? Okay, for for a couple reasons. One, detective there's a detective stout that was after the the massacre, he's kind of in charge of keeping in touch with Stacy. And mind you Stacy's 15 years old. Yeah. At some point, this is within months of her mom, brother, friends, and grandparents being killed. They, their relationship starts to cross some lines and some boundaries oh, here. God. Yeah, he's like in his, he's in his late 30s. And yeah, late 30s to 15 is a lot worse than 18 to 14. Now, I do want to point out, this is a bit of a, for the most part, this is a bit of a he said, she said kind of story because he says he didn't do anything wrong. She says that they did have some kind of physical relationship. The only thing that takes it past he said, she said was that in October, the same year she of had the, his baby, no, the, the same year of the shooting, I believe it was in October, she is living with her stepmother and her father, right? Right. Her stepmother picks up the landline. Stacy's on the phone with somebody. She accidentally picks up the landline and she hears Stacy talking to detective stout. They're making arrangements to meet up that weekend, right? That coming weekend. So immediately stepmom gets off the phone, contacts her husband and she's saying, we have to get somebody else involved, an outside agency in this whole thing, because everything that this the sheriff's office was rumored to be involved in, which was drugs and sex with underage girls, she goes, oh my God, it's true. I, I heard Stout on the phone with, with our daughter. Right. Trying to make some kind of arrangements. And apparently, I think she was turning 16 or had just turned 16 a couple of weeks before that. So of you know, course, this thirty-some-year-old douche fuck isn't going to admit to this. Of course, and and so we're just not going to believe her. She's been through all this trauma. Well, I'm not saying I don't believe her, I, but I I did want to point out that we there is we got to be fair. You know, it is a it is for the most part, other than that one witness ear witness statement, it is a he said she said 
situation. Now, he is charged. He gets charged uh, with several counts of something, but it wasn't statutory rape. These were these were minor charges that he was brought up on. Of course, because his own department's not going to charge him with major charges. Not if they're also doing the same thing. Well, what ends up happening, I, I want to kind of keep this part short because there's still a lot of stuff to get to. He ends up getting convicted of some very minor charges, which, and he resigns from the sheriff's office. Good. And it's, it doesn't sound like this was a, a resigning that he, he, he was all did the right thing kind of thing. I think the sheriff forced this man to resign because the sheriff's official statements was, Hey, I could prove on several occasions, this guy was going out and doing things that he had no approval to do. He was, he wasn't out working his job like he's supposed to. He was out fraternizing with this girl. Right now, the reason why I say he said, she said, I believe what she says. And she says it was all consensual. And I believe most of what she says. The only thing that I take a little bit of issue with, and then I get it because she's a victim and she was probably embarrassed. The reason why he only got convicted of very minor charges is because she refused to testify against him at, at this trial. Right. But what the local rumor was at the time was that some of these sheriff's deputies were up to no good that either they were involved in, they were involved in illegal activity is what the rumors were at the time that it, that it could have been drugs could have been going with these underage girls. Right. And so where this whole conspiracy comes into play is that according to Robert St. Clair, that the night before the Moody massacre, there was a call that came into the sheriff's office and this was Stacy and Scott's grandfather called the sheriff's office to complain that some of the sheriff's deputies were having sex with his granddaughter and her friends. There's your motive. And he he says, he says, you know, have Sheriff Henry call me first thing in the morning. Now, mind you, it's a holiday weekend. Sheriff Henry is off. We already talked about that. Yeah. Have him call me or have other officers come over and kill my whole family. So what, what is thought that might have happened is that the sheriff's department, and I shouldn't say department, it makes it sound like everybody was involved. Right, right. But a couple of these bad seeds, a couple of these bad apples, maybe they got somebody to go out and kill this family to put and thought that Stacy was done and unable to say any different. Right. And that when they arrive on the scene, oh, or even before the shooter leaves the house, Let's put the gun in this kid's hands, and now it's an open and closed case. Yeah, I mean, cause there's just so many things that don't make a lot of sense. I mean, you're a quarter mile away, and there's multiple gunshots to kill the grandparents, and nobody wakes up at the household. They all all still just get shot in their sleep. Yeah, Certain so things don't make a lot of sense. It seems like there's more than one individual involved in this crime. Well, keep in mind the grandparents, they were up and at it. They were, they were moving around. They were, they weren't sleeping and somebody surprised them and killed them in their sleep. Right. They're making breakfast in the morning. Yeah. They're found on their kitchen floor. So did, did two people come in and do that job? Now the, the problem here too, is that 
a lot of people say, well, Scott Moody didn't even have any guns. But mind you, the gun that was found was a 22 caliber semi-automatic automatic, excuse me, Marlin rifle. These people say Scott didn't have any guns. So remember the sheriff's official statement. His first statement was that, oh, he, you know, shot, he, he got up, loaded his gun, walked to his grandparents' house, shot them in the kitchen, walked all the way back, and then killed everybody going room to room and then killed himself. Right. Well, that statement has to change if, in fact, it's true that Scott Moody had no guns. Their later statement will say that Scott Moody went to his grandparents' house with the purpose of getting a gun because his grandfather did own several guns. Right. So he took the gun from his grandpa, killed them, and then came back and killed the family. If Scott did it, it's believed that he went down to their basement, got the gun, came upstairs, surprised them, killed both of them, then went home, killed everybody, then killed himself. Right, again, but we don't have any type of motive other than possibly that he went into a rage, into a, some kind of temper tantrum. And and that's only, again, we don't have a long history of that. Well, then here's another problem with the gun. There's a lot of problems with the gun. You already pointed it out. No GSR that we've been told of. No ballistics that we've been told of. Okay, Scott didn't have any guns. Well, that's fine. The gun belonged to his grandfather. Well, there's an issue with that. Gary Schaefer, the grandfather, his brother comes out and says, look, I knew all of my brother's guns. He never, he says, I never saw a 22 caliber before at my brother's home. Right. And he said he never would have bought a used firearm. The firearm, the rifle that was found either next to Scott Moody or on his person was last registered to a Kevin Miller was registered as the owner of the firearm. And he says that he recalls that he sold it to a Ray Gillenwater G I L L E N W A T E R who is is now, now deceased. Um, I don't, I don't think these two people have any connection to, the sheriff's office or, or the to family. the Moody family. Yeah. So it seems uh, it, this gun seems strange. So what is the chain of ownership of, of this gun? Did it right. belong to the grandfather or somehow did it make its way to Scott Moody and, and that Scott Moody actually owned it? Just That's these people coming it. forward right. didn't know about it. And again, this damn coin, flip it up in the air and see what side it lands on because you have several people that say Scott didn't like guns. But then you have other people that say, yeah, he he went deer hunting a time or two. Uh, he, he probably had a gun to shoot groundhogs or, you know, pests that would come onto the farm. Right. So really, it's it's tricky and it's difficult. And I, I think. But also to back up that the, the statement that the grandfather called and wanted to talk to the sheriff about his daughter's sexual relationships with officers she would be able to back up that story right because she already you would think so unless she already talked about one inappropriate relationship with the officer and again we don't have that statement from stacy we have the statements about the inappropriate actions by detective stout but we don't have any statements that are backing up if in fact we should point out if in fact her grandfather did call the sheriff's office the night before complaining right. with this complaint. Or is this just something that 
Because there's a lot of times in cases where we can't find answers, and we and and then the true crime world starts creating their own answers. And you see this in a lot of cases where uh, there's some police conspiracy. You know, look at the Mara Murray case. I mean, people have brought that up for years that there's possibly a, a police conspiracy. So you know, where you don't have a lot, maybe there were these tests run, but they haven't been, uh, those statements haven't been issued to the community. And now we have a bunch of questions. Are we filling in the gaps with information that's not even correct? Do we even know for a fact that, that the grandfather called and, and that would give some kind of motive for conspiracy? According to Robert St. Clair, um, that that call was the the officer that answered that call took down a note to because he's got to pass along this information to have Sheriff Henry actually call this person back, right? So he's saying that there was some kind of paper trail that 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 a call came in from the grandfather, but doesn't it may not state exactly what it is. And you point out something very smart here. And I don't think it's the true crime community in this case as it as it often is in most cases. Right. I think in this case to the true crime community, to people outside of Bell Fountain, outside of Logan County, Ohio, this really on the surface just looks like some kid that lost it, that that something was a brewing, it bubbled over and he impulsively killed his family and then himself. That's one on the surface what it looks like. Right. You have the community the, the locals that are unsatisfied with the answers that they're getting, they're the ones that start to fill in the gaps. They're the ones that start to fill in the blanks. And now we have this whole conspiracy theory, and it goes beyond that because the sheriff's office, to be, to be frank, uh-huh. they were not – they had some bad boys on this department. They 100% did. We know that Stout loses his job. There was another officer that was caught on one of those baby cams. You know, you have the baby cam that you set up in your yeah. living room or somewhere in your home. Yeah. He was going over to these people's home and having sex with the babysitter while they were gone. But the, but uh. yeah, they watched the baby cam footage one night and they're like, you imagine that? You, you turn on the baby cam footage to make sure that the babysitter is not screwing her boyfriend on the couch or or ignoring the baby and just watching tv the whole time or talking to her friend on the phone the whole time you put on the baby cam footage and you see an officer of the law in his uniform on your tv screen yeah so you put it on pause and go get some popcorn put some butter on it maybe some parmesan cheese and and finish watching it you know they see they see the uh, an officer of the law there and they're going, well, what's why, why would he be there? And then, right. Then right, the clothes right, right, start right. coming off and they're like, well, we know why he's there now. And check a wow. Wow. He's another one that, that, uh, is off of the force. And how old was this babysitter? Mm, I'm a little unclear of that. It, the, the way that it's presented to me, if she were under 16, there would be, there would be severe charges against this guy. Maybe. And since there were not, charges well but again what do you mean they, maybe they maybe. got video footage of the guy of Does they got mean, pornographic video footage of of this stuff going down you can't really was it me you can't really have no. a sheriff's office just go well we didn't having, no we don't think that happened actually happened i was making a service call wasn't me 
I was having sex with the babysitter on the baby cam. Wasn't me. I do want to point out something, too, regarding our recommended reading, Captain. We said Saving Stacy, The Untold Story of the Moody Massacre by Rob St. Clair. One thing that I found, one, it's it's a very easy read because it's it's incredibly interesting. It's a, right. it's a fast read because it's such a page turner. But one thing that I really liked about his book is he's not creating a narrative. He doesn't say this is what happened and this is the conspiracy theory and this is how it happened. He doesn't point that out at all. He doesn't try to he pulls drag you down the garage that. and just says, we don't know. He, tr- he, yeah, he doesn't try to drag you down that road. He just says, look, here's all the inconsistencies in this case. Yeah. He's, he's kind of saying the same thing that I think you and I are both saying here. We don't have enough information to determine if Scott Moody was in fact the shooter. A lot of things point to him being the shooter. But there's plenty of questions that you have to call into question. Yeah, tons of holes in this story and and tons of things that it's as simple as this department that's under heavy questioning. Your job is to serve and protect, not to be having sex with underage girls. That's sick. You know, grow up. And then on top of that, so again, serve and protect, right? But it's also for you to keep calmness, like I said, calm people's nerves if we think there's another shooter out there. So if you have answers to these questions, it's your obligation to present these to the community to let them know that this is what we found. These are the tests that we ran. These are what the tests showed us. And because you need to have some kind of confidence in your law enforcement. And it's uh, pathetic that these that these officers would even call themselves officers because this is not the action of every police officer out there no. and, and and most police officers are out there trying to protect and serve and and not trying to get into the pants of underage girls yeah it's, it's not even the actions of everyone on that department at that time exactly and what we've pointed that out plenty of times you but know, if i'm an officer on that in that department i'm i'm going to the head of every department saying release this information yeah because these guys have drug our name and our badge through the mud and and we need to we need to stop this and and the community has rights to have these answers but isn't it that that makes you question if they even have that they might not you know that that's it makes me question if they even have that at all that leans more towards that to me would lean more towards a conspiracy than anything. I think it's been, you know, it's been 15 years, almost 15 years. I think we, we could, I thought going into this that I was going to be able to answer all my questions that I had on it because so much time has passed, but obviously that's not the case. And I also want to give two shout outs here, captain. I spoke with Ben Southerly and Jim, DeBrosi, I think is how you say his last name. Right. Um, both of them were, they did a lot of the newspaper coverage on this case at the time. Both of them were kind enough to pick up the phone and answer some of my questions, even with the case being, you know, 15 years old. Yeah, so shout out to answer, those guys. They didn't answer any of my questions. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, don't, I didn't call them. I don't think that you called them. I think but, this is a great case to do a, even more of a deep dive into, and I'd like to hear people's thoughts and, and questions that they have that maybe law enforcement will be checking the blog. So if you have any thoughts 
or opinions on this, please go to truecrimegarage.com and, and leave those on the blog. Well, and as we said, there's so many things to debate in this case, just with Scott himself in the finding of his body in the state of his body when they find it at the scene. I mean, we have two shots for one suicide, right? You can argue that all day and night. Also the gun, the trigger is found in his weak hand. Yeah. He's right-handed is found in his left hand. Now I will also say by that same regard that if somebody's determined enough to kill themselves, they don't care if it's their weak or strong hand that's being used. But the blood on Scott's bed is weird, okay? So they find blood. Remember, he was found at the bottom of the bed with his legs hanging off of the bed. No shirt on, yeah. No shirt on. They find blood all the way up at the top of the bed. And the way that this has been described is not so much as blood spatter, which which it very well could have been, but it's described almost as somebody moved the body, that somebody drug a bleeding Scott from the top of the bed all the way down to the bed and then left him in that state before fleeing the scene. The other thing that people call into question too is with so much blood and if somebody went from room to room shooting each one of these people, you can clearly see Scott's socks in some of the crime scene photos on his feet, still on his feet and they're, pristine white. Thank you to everybody for joining us in the garage. Please join us back here next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.